Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi there, my name is Monica O'Hanlon and you could say I'm a bit of a sticky beak. I just love hearing people's stories because it's true what they say, everyone's got one. I work at Gov FM in northeast Arnhem Land in the NT. It's one of the most remote and unspoilt parts of Australia. Never heard of it? That's okay. But I bet someone you know has. This tiny slice of paradise has a weird way of connecting people. Everyone knows someone who's been here. I guarantee it. If you're someone who isn't familiar with it, here's what you need to know. The Jungle people are the traditional owners of this region. Their vibrant culture dates back more than 40,000 years. The hub, where I live, is called Nullumboy a town created on the Gove Peninsula after the establishment of the bauxite mine. You're probably asking, what's the purpose of this podcast? I've met so many weird and wonderful people, whether they're from here or just passing through. I want to know how their path led them to this tiny little dot on the map. And it would be my absolute pleasure to share it with you. Phil O'Brien is a writer, actor, musician, TV and radio presenter. He's performed in national television campaigns, one of which earned him a Pride of Australia award. He's done every job under the sun and then some. I've been a big fan of Phil's for years. He's a territory icon and an absolute legend. I could listen to this guy tell stories for hours, so we're going to jump straight into it on today's episode of Northeast Arnhem Land with Mon. I know that we've been having a casual chat. You didn't even know I was recording. I didn't know you. (laughs) That was just bullshit. (laughs) Sorry, Phil. I would like to start at the beginning because you're a writer, a performer, an actor, singer-songwriter. You've done films, television, released music. You've done hundreds of different jobs, all of that. But I think I want to go full circle and start. Like, where were you born? (laughs) Oh, we used to live on a cattle station called Tempe Downs. Oh, near Alice. Yeah, do you know that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, about 220 or 250K southwest. Yeah. And Kings Canyon used to be part of that property. Yeah, right. Yeah, we didn't own it. We just managed it. And my dad had been there forever and his dad had been there like from way back. In the, oh, cool. era, in the 20s and 30s and all that, in that area. So they're sort of like pioneers. But when I was a little kid, we had a 10-year drought. So back in the 60s, it didn't rain bugger all for a, you know, a long time. And um, I was due to be born. We went into Alice Springs and something happened. In the something happened in the procedure. I don't know. We never really talk about it, yeah. but something went wrong, and they had to fly me down, my mum down to Adelaide, and I came out in Adelaide. Oh, you were actually born in. Adelaide. I came out there, then they flew us back. <laughs> so I mean, I don't know. I, I, I still think of Alice Springs as me like yeah base, you know, like me heart, you know, totally yeah, me spiritual home. Yeah, but um, when I was a little kid, like the drought got really bad, and then. The family packed up after all that time and we moved to Adelaide. Okay. How yeah. old were you then? Oh, just just a little kid, maybe, I don't know, five or six or something like that. So do you remember much of your childhood then in Tempe Yeah, Downs I do or? remember yeah. a bit, yeah. And, uh, you know, my mum was a – she did a bit of photography, which was good. Cool. And she took some great photos with that old – Agfa, you know, it was like real colourful and she took slides and all that. So there's some great photos of that era because in those days 
there was a lot of Aboriginal people living at Tempe with us. Mm-hmm. That was, you know, their traditional area, and they were there. And it was in the days when they every they they line up for rations every week. You know, oh, flour, wow. tea, sugar, meat, meat. And I still remember they used to get me to pinch oranges for them because I think they used to get an orange, but I'd sneak in and get a couple more. That was my job. You only got one orange a day. Or nah, w- for, that was. But see, this is on top of everything they were hunting as well. Oh, okay. You know, and then, yeah, like me dad'd shoot ruse for them and stuff, and they'd get dresses. The blokes would get boots. Every it was like a system. Mm-hmm. Every month, so many months, the women had to have a new dress. You know, they got medical. Like if someone was crooked, the flying doctor would come. Um, stuff like that. And in return, the blokes, some of the young blokes would do some stock work for me dad. And uh, everyone seemed quite happy yeah, in those yeah. happy in those days. Yeah. Uh, it, but, but looking back on paper, you know, it looks pretty bad. Mm. But when they, I said they did a bit of stock work, like they didn't, they didn't like do a 12-hour day every day. Like they'd just come and do a bit of mustering. And then when they had ceremony on, well, they just went and my dad had to work his regime around what they were doing, you know. Yeah. It was – we got on pretty good in those days. Yeah, things change. You know, things, things have always been changing. Yeah. But in my, you know, let, going down the road, 50 years we've gone from – I've seen the rations and all that. Yeah. To now – I'm working for a mob here in Nullumboy where people pay top money to come and have an Aboriginal experience. So it's gone full circle, which is great. You know, we, we've actually come come down the track a fair way. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. So, Phil, it sounds like you had a pretty interesting childhood. Uh, obviously, it was a very different time back then. Yeah, we, it was pretty – like, I can't remember that much, but because of my family's pretty easy going and me dad – like he come from like a pioneering background and they never – they had it pretty tough. Yeah. So we – he didn't really – because we were managing it for people, so he never really put his hand up for stuff. Like we didn't have power. Oh, wow. <laughs> There's no electricity. Yeah. Um, and like water it can just come from a well dug in a dry riverbed, like a wow. traditional – like how Aboriginal people do it, they dig like where they know there's water. Yeah. And then one bloke used to bring it up in a bucket and tip it in a 44 up at the house and that was the water for the day. (laughs) Pretty primitive. Yeah, we're so spoiled here, aren't we? You kind of – well, I take all of that for granted, so that's pretty crazy. (laughs) Yeah, and that was at the time when other people, you know, other stations had developed a bit. They had generators and and cool rooms and stuff like that, but – we were still in the old old pioneering days, like, you know, like when my dad killed killed a beast or something to, for food, like we just had like a, a bow, like a hut, you know, with a grass roof and <laughs> there's no no fan or nothing. It was just slightly cooler than everywhere else and wow. just hung the meat in there. And, and it gets pretty bloody hot. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And like everything you had to make yourself, like me mum, they used to make their own butter, cream. Um, they used to make their own yeast. Wow. To make to make bread, stuff like that. You just had to do – my dad used to make his own, like, whips and leather goods and all that. Everyone just had to make everything there. And when we moved to Adelaide, we are still, like – we were, like, real – like the hillbillies, Beverly Hillbillies. <laughs> like, there was still meat hanging up everywhere and leather gear everywhere and – you know, I remember they'd drop me off at school and all bullets would fall out the car and <laughs> stuff like that. We were like the hillbillies. <laughs> like how were the kids and stuff? How did they treat you? Did they At school? Yeah. Like did they find that funny or were you bullied or how did they? Oh, no, I don't remember. No, I think got on pretty good, but that was at a nun school. It was like all the nuns used to run it. Wow. And um, that was pretty wild school, like a lot of. A lot of kids getting bashed and <laughs> by the nuns. Or... Yeah, they were pretty, pretty heavy duty outfit back in those days. <laughs> so, did you finish your schooling down there then? Yeah, well, I I finished primary school, and I think everything I've learned me like primary school was probably when I stopped learning stuff. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but the even though it was quite violent at that school, like you got belted. Every second day and all that, I did. God. I left that primary school like I was pretty competent. Like 
they really gave you a good education, yeah. you know. Anyway, then I went to high school, only lasted a couple of years. Yeah, wasn't for you? Not really, no. no I remember I was, I was wagging school up at the <laughs> shop and my mum drove past and saw me and, and she pulled up and called me over and wound the window down and as I stuck my head in, she wound the window up and I couldn't get my head out <laughs> and just slapped me around a bit and, yeah, and then... <laughs> <laughs> then she made brutal. me. Yeah. <laughs> then she made me drive to school on my bike, and she was behind me, just nudging that back tire with the Tirana. <laughs> till we got to school, and then anyway, it was sort of everyone was in unison, like, yeah, I think you should just leave school, get a job. And did you? Well, I kicked. Yeah, I kicked around for a bit, but I soon realised. You know, I was mad at sport. I loved sport, played a lot of sport, but I soon realised, you know, the city wasn't really for me. And so I left and I got a job. Oh, my first year when I left, I just took off and I just drifted and I ended up in Broome. This was like about, I don't know, late 70s or something and there was a lot of hippies there. It was just a great town, only a little tiny town, Mm. two pubs. And just lived there for most of the year, just running around naked on the beach. <laughs> Sounds amazing. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> what were you doing there just for work? Were you working or just kind of No, well, when I got there, I had no money, nothing, you know. And How did you get there? Well, I, I had this old Datsun I got from Darwin, this Datsun 1200, and it was, it was just a little hot rod bomb thing, you know, and I just blasted out of Darwin in the wet season. And the road to Broome in those days was um, a lot of dirt. It wasn't bitumen. Oh, wow. And I'm, I'm just hitting it with this little Datsun 1200 hot rod thing and, <laughs> yeah, sort of half fell apart. But it's a big long story, but I made it to Broome, no money, nothing. And I met this other bloke that come up from Perth, sort of same story. Mm. And he had no money and I had no money and we just become mates. And so we pinched a sack of spuds from the Continental Hotel <laughs> because we were like starving and we ate spuds for about two or three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> it was a 20 kilo sack. And actually, he's, to this day, he's like my best mate. We've kept in touch. but That's amazing. Yeah, we forged a friendship. And uh, f- then we just, yeah, got a little bit of work and... Yeah, just kicked around. It was great. Yeah, sounds pretty unreal. What does he do now? Uh, he lives in the hills north of Perth. He's got his own, um, like, handyman business. Oh, cool. And he's married, you know. He, he found a missus that sort of settled him down and got him on the right track, and I never did. Ah. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> That's the difference. And um, he's been in, like, a couple of movies we made. It's me and him in there. His oh, name's Al. Cool. Yeah, so he features in that, but... Yeah, Broome was pretty great then. It was just euphoric for a young bloke. Yeah. I'm just a lonely Australian boy. I got no money and I got no joy. I'm on the road again. I hit a town named Coolapiti. I met a girl, she was happy to see me. Been from a previous trip, pushed on through to a town called Alice. Woke up naked by the traffic lights. What the hell was I doing there? Doing there? I'm just a lonely Australian boy. Then I, I come back for Christmas and then I went, just started to get that urge to like, for cattle and the state bush life and that. Yeah. Like it was good being a hippie and all that and that was great, but I wanted, you know, something a bit more challenging. So I ended up working on some cattle stations around Alice Springs. Which ones? Oh, the first one was Mount Dare yeah. by the border. And that was in the days before they had helicopter mustering and that. Mm-hmm. So that was exciting. Once again, it was really old-fashioned style. Everything was just on horses and old-fashioned and take you about a month to muster like, you know, <laughs> like maybe a thousand head. Now they do that like could do it in an afternoon, wow. you know, or a morning. 
Do you think it's with helicopters? Yeah, that's crazy. Do you think that uh, what drew you up there is because it, it's in your blood? Because it yeah. sounds like you're like what is it? Your dad and your dad's dad and yeah, all that side. That was the all the cattle side of the family yeah, got, wow. went right back. Like my granddad was a drover for Kidman, the cattle king. Okay, and he's got an interesting story. Um, and then on my mother's side was all. Hanrahan's from Alice Springs, and they're all great people, but they weren't cattle people, mm -hmm. but they love to party and they <laughs> love to tell stories. So that's where you get it from. I think <laughs> that's so. Totally makes sense. So now. I get that. And I think they, they go back, I think. Actually, my mum's dad's dad was in Alice Springs. So I go back, I don't know, is that four generations? Yeah. He used to have a team of draft horses and a big scoop and he used to make dams and that with his wow. draft 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 horse team. Yeah. Incredible. So you ended up going up there, you felt the yearning to go back for bush life. Yeah. Get on the cattle stations. How long were you there for? Jumping around on those ones. Well, I was there for most of the year, but it's pretty like in those days, you know, on the cattle station like, it was pretty pretty rough life. And if you weren't related to the people that owned it or friends with them or something, you got treated pretty rough. Well, I did anyway. Yeah? Yeah. What kind of stuff? Can you tell us a little bit? <laughs> oh, well, once I, I got, I don't know, some sort of fever I got once and like I was like really bad, like really bad. You know, I just like had to get off my horse and just walk along with the mob of cattle and was just in there, just couldn't hardly walk and God. sweating and fever really bad. And I had it for quite a while and before I, I finally asked if I could get some help, you know, and I, I got one Panadol. Wow. Yeah, and I thought that I'm going to die and get buried under a tree out here for sure. Yeah. That's what's going to happen. Because, you know, sometimes you're out bush and you're driving and you just see like a an old grave or something. Yeah, yeah. I thought, oh, that'll be me. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> One night, this young Aboriginal bloke, Johnny Doolan, he, he woke me up and he, he said, come with me. And he, he took me to this really hot spring coming out the ground. And it made me sit in there like for hours and it was really hot and I was sweating my guts out. And uh, he did a bit of like freaky tribal stuff. Yeah. And uh, then got out. We walked up and down. He sort of put his hand on me forehead and did a bit of freaky stuff and back in there sweating and, yeah, sa save me. I was wow. Next day I was, I was out of it, pulled out of it. That's amazing. Yeah. Wow, what an experience. Yeah. So how, how did you end up up here then if you were Central Australia? Like how, what was the journey well, up here? I had a good mate that was living in Darwin mm -hmm. that I knew and I come up to see him. And, yeah, I, I just, it was exciting, you know, and then I ended up, I had some other friends I made in Catherine, mm -hmm. and Catherine was a great place in those days, like great parties, like really? down the river, yeah, <laughs> and they had a big club called the River Rats, and they used to have these big parties every weekend, <laughs> it was great, and um, me and a few other friends formed a band, it was called Coma. Coma. Yeah, because we used to drink so much we'd actually pass out while we we're playing <laughs> oh, not all at the all at once but usually one one would go down and then later another one would <laughs> go down and we got the name coma like we didn't choose that name yeah right yeah and we knew tw we knew 12 songs and we used to play them three times <laughs> like we'd play the first set of 12 songs <laughs> and then everyone would party more and that down the river we had a generator and that and a few amps. When you say river, do you mean the Catherine, Catherine River, yeah. Ca the no, Catherine River. Where's that? I can't even. Oh, it flows through town, okay. Catherine. Yeah, cool. And if you go downstream from Catherine, there's great, a lot of great places. So we'd play 12 and then that party, and then we'd come back, play the, them again. Yeah, right. And it, people were even more into it then. <laughs> and then like once, once the party was at fever pitch, right, yeah. we'd come back and play them again. <laughs> Oh, yeah, it's just, yeah, <laughs> That's so just cool. blow them away that third time. <laughs> <laughs> third time's a But trick. some of the old timers there remember coma. The only thing I remember from Catherine, I haven't been there in years, but they had a red rooster and when we drove out from here, you know, that was something you look forward to. They didn't have a McDonald's but they had a red rooster and that was all we needed. <laughs> yeah, well, this was before all that. 
It was sounds like, like it would have been cool back then. Yeah, it was pretty good. Uh, the meatworks was going in Catherine, then, so you could always get work at the meatworks. Okay, and it was good money. So you know, there was all these people that loved to party, and they had money, mm-hmm. and we could get access to a lot of good beef. So it was just on for young and old, and uh, the police thought. Uh, the River Rats was like some sort of crime organisation. <laughs> and I remember they, they crashed one of our parties and all that and took everyone away. But, you know, they soon worked out we were, weren't up, you know, we were harmless. Yeah, just having a good time. Yeah. <laughs> I actually, I remember, I'm pretty sure it was your book, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I remember reading something about you had some stories from the Mataranka pub. Is that right? In one of your books? I think with a German backpacker. I did. I did work there for three days at the Mataranka pub. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's what this story. I was pretty broke. Yeah, right. At Mataranka, and I, I got a job there as a yardie. Yeah, it wasn't really me, me thing, you know. Oh, and I, really? Yeah, because one of my jobs was cleaning the toilets, and uh, it was pretty. Like I said in my book, there was more wildlife getting around in the toilets and yeah. the Serengeti plains of Africa. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty wild, pretty wild, and um, I was out the front hosing down. I think it was my third day. Yeah. And there's a pommy guy walking past. And I said, Oh, how you going, mate? He reckons, Oh, yeah, can't get a job, you know? I said, Yeah, you can have mine. And I gave him the hose and I took off. <laughs> and I went back like a month later, drove through, and I seen the bloke there. He's still working there. Oh, he We're must still have working liked there. It. Yeah. yeah. Must have suited him. So you, you kicked around there for a bit, but how did you end up in this area? In like, Northeast Arnhem Land. Oh, well, it was about 91 or something. And I think I just got sacked as a tour guide in the Kimberleys. <laughs> right? Just all fell apart there. And it wasn't my fault. I was working, yeah, for a, a real wanker. And uh, yeah, this, uh, the wheels fell off. And um, what did good you do? With you them. tell us. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> but. Um, Anyway, my cousin was working here for Gumatz Association in, I think it was 91 or something like that, and he said, come over here, you know, for a, a holiday, and so I, come, I ended, ended, ended up coming over, and I think it was towards the end of 91, and it was just, just blew me away, and all the people, the place, you know, and, and at Gumatz down at Ski Beach here, just great people, and they just started the crog farming project. And the bloke that was running it, he left for some reason. I don't know what happened, but he, he just took off. And and so they, they really needed someone there to hold the fort a bit. Yeah, right. So it, I was sort of on holidays, but next minute on the crock farm. <laughs> bloke. Yeah. Crock farm. What was that like? Oh, to start with, it was pretty, pretty wild, pretty <laughs> wild. Yeah, it was like it's pretty nerve wracking to start with. Like Totally. But, I mean, I had a bit to do with other animals, but, I mean, I hadn't had much to do with crocs, and they're totally different. But, you know, one good thing, they're low to the ground. You didn't have to sort of ride them or anything. You just had to keep out of their way. But uh, shortly after I started, they're talking about this this uh, egg collection in the wild, collecting croc eggs in the wild. And I, th- I just didn't put two and two together that when they were talking about it, they were talking about me going out to get them. <laughs> Like, I'm just sort of listening to these conversations thinking, oh, like, you know, I feel sorry for the idiot that's going to go out there and <laughs> steal eggs from the nest. Like, you know, they're bad enough when they're not protecting a nest. Yeah. Imagine protecting a nest, how crazy they're going to go. And I'm, I'm sort of feeling a bit sorry for the bloke that's going to do it. But all along, it was me. God. <laughs> and then they told me, and they only told me virtually hours before the helicopter come. Next minute I'm in the chopper. Next minute I'm flying out across the Peter John floodplain, and uh, yeah. How does how does one get eggs from a crocodile nest? How does that work? Well, I was I did it with a really close friend, Aboriginal fella. Oh, he's passed away now. Damaranji, mm-hmm. it was his family name. Mm-hmm. And, oh, we got he was a really good bloke, and so but he only had one good eye, mm-hmm. and. It, we our protection was a paddle off a boat. It was an oar that we just found. We got this oar. It was about fourteen foot wooden oar, quite solid. And there's me and him and a mad chopper pilot called Mick Dundee, right? And he had a big knife he used to wear on his belt. And when he introduced himself as Mick, 
it's it introduces knife as David. <laughs> like they they were a package, him and David. So was that after Crocodile Dundee, or is that what? No, was that inspired? was after Croc Dundee. Okay, <laughs> he was reliving it, <laughs> and uh, with me and David, the one-eyed fella, great bloke. Well, he had two eyes that, but only one was good, and the other one wasn't that good. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, in the chopper, and uh, no gun, nothing, no, you know, and we had a couple of eskies on the on the skids. That when we find a nest, we you meant to you break the nest open and you put the nest material in the esky and then you place the eggs carefully in the nest material in the oh. in the esky and you've got to with a pencil put a mark on the top of each egg because how she lays them is how they got to stay otherwise you could the embryo could break away from the yolk oh. they're quite fragile wow. so you've got to go really careful so the nests are quite big mounds you know you can see them from the air. Mm. If if you if you're lucky, you can see him, and and he'd drop us as close as he could, and we'd have to hike in through the swamp and long grass and all that to get to these nests. God, yeah, and uh, <laughs> you know, I reckon fifty percent of the time, no, maybe forty percent, because all crocs have got their own personality. People mm-hmm. don't realise. Yeah, some are quite shy, and some are crazy. Yeah, they're like like people or totally. like horses or dogs. Yeah, so about forty percent, you know. You could sort of bluff them with all the noise of you coming through and, you know, you could bluff them. They'd stay in the water and not come out and you could get the eggs. But I reckon 60% you couldn't <laughs> bluff them <laughs> and they'd just fly straight at you and, yeah, it was, it was pretty scary. God, did you have any near misses? Yeah, heaps. <laughs> well, once I sunk oh. in this quicksand and just my head was sticking out and I <laughs> I just had this vision of a Jat's cracker with an olive on it, you know, like at parties. And that was a close one. But my friend put, he was only half me weight. He didn't sink down like I did. And he pulled me out, saved me bacon. And um, another time, oh, lots of times we got, you know, sometimes they'd fly out and you try and hit them with the paddle and they'd just grab it and just shred it. They'd just tear like a foot off it and shred it. And we're talking about like, you know, two or three inch solid wood paddle and they'd fling that and you'd just have to run off like like doing a 100-metre thing, you know, sprint. Yeah. It was quite funny afterwards. <laughs> yeah, afterwards. Back at the yacht club. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but um, another one time we were at Arafura Swamp in central Arnhem. This was really scary because that's full of this elephant grass and mm. it's sort of like sugar cane and it takes a lot of, to walk through. It's really hard. We were pushing through that to get to this nest and – it just come crashing down like I don't know if you've ever seen those African movies when an elephant's coming through crashing gonna gonna get the bloke the yeah. game hunter you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> crashing through and it's like that and it all happened really quick and then the grass parted about maybe three or four foot in front of us and this big black croc head just emerged out of the grass God. through that long grass and Stewie backed into me. And I backed into Mick Dundee and we all three of us were laying on the ground. And the billabong, what this thing lived in, was all black, right, and slimy and black and dirty water. Yeah. So this thing was all black and its teeth were black and it had black weed hanging off its head. <laughs> so it looked like a monster. It was like a monster. Terrifying. And And we're on the ground and this thing is over us and I could smell its breath and, yeah, and it was just like – I don't think it had seen people, probably couldn't, you know, and we'd all fallen over and it was probably thinking, well, what's this mob think they're doing? Is this like a comedy routine or what, <laughs> you know? And uh, so so Mick Dundee took off about 90. He just like floated <laughs> and me and uh, my, my friend were just backed out of there slowly and just, yeah. And he just let you go, the croc just. Just staring, but we slowly got out of there. It was pretty close. That's Lucky different. it didn't start chomping. Yeah, God. That was pretty close. Oh, no, I've had – I could go on, you know. I nearly got Jimmy Barnes's cameraman killed, you know. <laughs> I have to. I nearly got killed another time. Another time <laughs> I was training this bloke. We're, we had a croc tied up and we're on its back, right, and you point him at the water and when you take everything off and that blindfold off, you jump off altogether and hopefully it sees the water and just tries to get in the water because that's their safety, see? Yeah. 
So I said to the bloke on the back, I'm tra- training him, and he's got the back le- legs off the ground of the croc, so the croc can't get any grip, you know? Yeah. I said, okay, when I count to three, we jump off really quick. That's how we do it. So I went one, and he jumped off on one. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> all of a sudden the croc's got his feet on the ground and he starts <laughs> twisting and bucking and just bucked me off and just galloped over the top of me, luckily, to get to the water. But if he wanted, he could have sucked on me like a paddle pop. God, that's <laughs> Yeah, that was a close one. I had to go home and change me undies. Yeah, what did you say to your mate? Did you give him a bit of a whack over the head? No, I said... You know, that was actually only on one. You know, we're meant to go to three. And he said, oh, I've got to go home. I think my wife needs me <laughs> or wants to see me about something. And he took off and he didn't come back for a couple of weeks. You have to tell me you can't drop Barnsley's cameraman story <laughs> and not tell us. What happened there? Uh, yeah, Jimmy Barnes, this is in the days when Yothi Indy were, at the, were peaking out. Yeah. And all Dr. M's kids mm-hmm. had had made a little relationship with all Jimmy Barnes's kids and they, they had a band called the Tin Lids, right? <laughs> cool. Oh, not a band, but they were called the Tin Lids. Yeah. So he come up with all his family and all his little kids and they were going to do a film clip with all the other kids. Nice. And then the producer guy reckons, well, yeah, let's get – Let's get Phil feeding a fish to this croc, this big croc. It'll be great for the song, you know. And I'd I'd been there for a fair while, and I thought I knew the croc pretty intimately. Mm. I said, yeah, yeah, I, I know this croc like the back of my hand. I said, I know exactly what this croc is going to do. I said, it's totally safe because I, I know the reactions and I know the, you know, what this croc's all about inside and out. You know, like I sounded like you know Dr. Graham Webb. <laughs> Multiplied by 10, right? <laughs> you know, multiplied by the Dalai Lama. I knew everything about this croc. And they they were blown away by my knowledge, right? So I said, okay, well, we'll, pl- we'll do it like this. Well, I'll open the door. I've got a big trevally, like quite a huge trevally, got out of the fridge and that. And and when the croc sees that, all he's going to – he's just going to want that trevally, Right. I said, it's quite safe. Send your bloke in down the other end and he'll jump in from the other end and get the shot. It's totally safe. And they said, oh, great. Look, yeah, we've got total confidence, you know. <laughs> you know. <laughs> hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theatres, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. <laughs> and um, so anyway, yeah, started off, yeah, action. So I opened the door, the ca- the cage door, stood there with me big fish and the croc seen it, big croc. And he, he starts coming towards me and the fish, you know, like I predicted. Then I said, yeah, okay. And I, I signaled for the cameraman guy to jump in and he jumped in the pen at the other end. But that vibration when he hit the cement vibrated through to our end and the croc spun around, got really excited and took off heading straight for this cameraman. He, Yeah, the croc jumped back in the pond and was screaming along like big bow wave in front of him and he was going to chew the hell out of the cameraman and the cameraman had about like maybe three seconds to get out and he panicked and he couldn't get out. Like he had a big camera and he, he couldn't climb out. He panicked. So I, I, I didn't even have time to think about it. So I jumped, run in there alongside the croc that was steaming down the pond and I bashed it in the head with the trevally and thank God the inside of the trevally was still frozen and it had a bit of weight and I bashed the croc and I don't remember anything. I turned and I looked back when I got to the gate, the, the croc, the trevally was gone, the bloke was out of the pen and everyone was okay. I don't know what happened, but <laughs> they dropped that scene. <laughs> oh, damn it. So you didn't get it on footage? No. Nah. Oh, that would have been amazing. No, I wasn't real popular after that. <laughs> oh, my gosh. 
talking about that earlier so back in the day uh when when i went to the croc farm as a kid you would actually get taken into the enclosure right to go and see the other crocs yeah tell us a little bit about that because the only croc i remember is stumpy that massive was that a boy or a girl yeah boy he only had three legs yeah and what, a stump <laughs> what happened to the stump i uh, don't know well he got caught that way but i think in the wild another croc they're probably fighting and he got his leg bitten off yeah but, uh, yeah, we called him Stumpy. <laughs> yeah, tell us a little bit about how you would – the kids actually went into the enclosure, right? At the croc farm in those days, we had a pond down the back, a little billabong, mm. and all the crocs caught around Nullumboy because in those days the ranger that was based here, they used to put traps out and also we used to go out with the ranger harpooning at night trying to get mature crocs, see, for mm-hmm. breeding. Mm-hmm. And that was pretty hairy too. Anyway, so all but all the all the males that they there was seemed to be a lot more males and females you get. So we were just putting all the males in this billabong at the back, mm. and they they'd sort themselves out. And we had them there, and we used to feed them. We used to get the outdated meat from Woolies, you know. So they were eating corned beef and schnitzels and <laughs> and patties, you know. They. Snags. They loved to schnitty. They, they were going. <laughs> they were doing really well, and all their teeth were really white. You know, they were really healthy, and they were really happy. Yeah. And we never teased them. We just walked around quiet, talked to them. They had names. We never, you know, they were relaxed. Like you wouldn't obviously go that close to their mouth where they could bite yeah. you, but but you could. They wouldn't flinch. You'd walk around, and they they wouldn't even. After a while, they just totally, totally relaxed mm. the way we had them then. So when the school started sending school kids out for excursions, we used to take them down to that billabong and walk around amongst these crocs. <laughs> it was great. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't think you do it. could do it now. No, I feel like insurance-wise. <laughs> I just remember whoever was leading us had a massive stick and he's like, yeah, we're, we're going to go in the enclosure now. But we're going to, you know, don't worry, I've got this stick. But there was like, he said that there was like 35 or something crocs in there with you. It's crazy. Yeah, but like that that was after we started doing that. And yeah. I know I, I could guarantee that it was, we just took the kids to a safe distance. But yeah. It was good, like there wasn't any, there weren't no fence between them and the crocs, and it was nice for them to have that experience. Oh, absolutely. I don't know if I, you know, I don't know what the people were like that ran the place after I left. Oh, we loved it. I, yeah, yeah, it's one of my, but I don't know how how safe it would have been (laughs) with like that. I can guarantee the croc, the crocs were quite relaxed. It it wasn't too dangerous. It was exciting more than anything. Kids were different then, too, you know, they had common sense, and that, you know, it was. Different times. Yeah, different times. For sure. So you've done hundreds of different jobs. What's the? I want to ask you both, worst and favourite job that you've ever done? Like I've had, I've had scary jobs, like the croc farming at times was pretty hairy. Yeah. But, but it was a great job and a great experience. And then after that I did mackerel fishing with Steve Norman. Is that off here? Or yeah, here? up the Wessels and oh, up, up that way and – that was probably even scarier than croc farming Why at is times. That? Oh, when the sea up there, you know, can be really rough, it, yeah. you know, and um, there's heaps of sharks and they, you know, they follow you around, they bite the motor, they, it's really bad. Like, you know, just for an example, I was, I caught a mackerel and I had my club, you know, you got to hit him in the head and cut their throat and, the blood goes out into the sea, which makes things even worse. But I I went to hit this one in the head with me club and it went in the water 
and I went over to motored over to to reach in to get the club, and this huge shark head come out of the water like Jaws, snapped and ate the club, ate the wooden club in front of me. <laughs> what? Yeah, that was near Truen Island. Yeah, oh, I thought, whoa, well, this is getting a bit real. Yeah, but the, just the sharks, packs of sharks, and but. On a good day, boy, the scenery was so beautiful, you know, and it was just euphoric. But on a bad day, you wish you were somewhere else, that's for sure. Yeah, that's But that was a great job. But I've had a couple of really crappy ones like driving a minibus in Darwin. Mm. That was a shocker. <laughs> that was really bad. People doing runners and drunks and all that. And, and I don't know where any of the streets are and they're abusing me. And that yeah. was pretty bad. Not really as exciting as running a croc farm or something nah. like that. And uh, I was working for this bloke. I think he was a, he's a big Greek looking bloke, you know. And he, he's, he got up me. He reckons if you can't look any better than that, I'm going to sack you, you know. Like it, like me presentation. Oh, like a like a iron shirt and yeah, stuff. Yeah, and just like me me overall presentation as a human. <laughs> he said, if you can't do better, Go so on. anyway, I thought, oh, I thought I'll, I'll do so. I I'll play the game. Went home, and the next day I spruced myself up. I looked great, you know, combed my hair, like had a bit of a wash, and went back there. I thought, oh, this will blow him out. You know, this will put him back in his place. And got in there, and he said, yeah, I told you. <laughs> And they got the sack. <laughs> God, absolute yeah, shocker! That sounds awful. I think you got to be a cut out. It's got to be you got to be a special bloke cut out for that work. It yeah. wasn't my my thing. That's fair. And the other bad one was watermelon picking. It was pretty bad. Really? Why was that bad? Well, or just heavy work, I guess. Yeah, it's like this was at Kununurra, and I was flat broke. I think. I think it was might have been when I got the sack from that tour guide job. I didn't have enough money to, to leave town. Oh. I needed a bus fare out of there. <laughs> I needed to get some money for a fare. Might have been to get here. Yeah. But um, anyway, so if you want a job on the farm, it's 20K out of town, but they send a truck in at about five in the morning and the <laughs> truck goes to the post office. So you go there. So there's about 20 people there, right? And we all pile on the back of this truck. <laughs> It's really bad, and no one's talking, no one's happy. They know what's coming up, <laughs> and 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 it wasn't just twenty like backpackers like looking for a bit of work. It was like, you know, married couples, oh, wow. obviously down on their luck. Yeah. Uh, there was one bloke I, I recognised him. He used to be a ranger. Mm. You know, just people that were down on their luck in life. Yeah. Right. And so everyone's there, down, unlucky. You know, we're going to along in the dark in the back of this truck and no one's talking and, you know, everyone's got their own hard luck story. And then we get out to the farm and they and they, they were German. and uh, The people I, that ran the farm. Yeah, I remember because I had these really strong German accents yelling at you and all that and they into the fields. That's all they yelled, get into the fields, you know. <laughs> so everyone spreads out into the fields. <laughs> <laughs> and that awful. it was terrible. And it, it was build up time and there's like German bloke on a on a tractor and there's a big box with another German bloke in this middle of this big box and you grab the you bent over like a crab and you pick in this big melon, you shoot it to another bloke and it works its way to this German bloke in the back of this box and he stacks it. Okay. But you never actually – you're all bent over for hours like crabs going through the fields. It's really and bad. And then yeah. there was no water and it was build-up time. And the only time I got a drink was when someone like dropped a melon accidentally and he just grabbed some of that red flesh and just squeeze it and get some juice. God. Yeah, it was pretty bad. That's brutal. And, um, yeah, at lunchtime – well, by lunchtime – there's probably about half of the people had walked off and quit and were walking 20K back to town. <laughs> <laughs> Must have been pretty bad. Yeah. And so we're in this shed at lunchtime and they just rolled a, a melon in because the deal was they give you lunch as well. Yeah. So they rolled a melon in and threw a pocket knife in and we just had to share that for lunch. <laughs> <laughs> do you like? Do you still eat watermelon or did that put you off? No, but I think back. At the end of that day, I think there's only a couple of people left, right? Everyone mm. had just walked under 20K back to town. Yeah. And I got ride back and and I turned up the next day, right, mm. and it was a completely new 20 people, <laughs> like completely new 20 people. The other 20 had gone, didn't 
and it was another 20 down and out people. Um, same thing, went out there all down and out into the fields. <laughs> and I thought, oh, bugger this, you know. <laughs> I did two days. And the average person did one day, wow. but I did two days. You know, just to show I come from good stock. Yeah. Uh, two days and I had enough for a fair out of there. I think that's fair. Yeah. Uh, and your favourite job that you've ever had, do you reckon? Uh, I've had some good ones. I don't know if you call acting a job. Yeah, definitely. But I like that. I've had some good experiences doing that. Yeah. And singing, played at some good places and yeah. that was good. Yeah, cool. And work-wise, the croc farm was great, but I had this other little job with this really nice lady from the water resources. She was a scientist. Yep. And she hooked me in there to do a few trips with her, and she was making a map of all the water bodies in the Gulf region. Yep. So some fantastic country. And we used to bring two quad bikes on a trailer, and we'd head out bush, and then, you know, she'd just – look at the lay of the land and the geology, and then we'd mount up on these quad bikes and we'd just head straight across country. Yeah, sick. Yeah. And she was finding, like, beautiful oases and hot springs and it was just great. And she was a really nice lady and, like, you know, things – just things like if it's 5 o'clock and we're driving down the road and I'm driving, she'd say, look, I'll take over. You have a beer. <laughs> just – I mean, that's so cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that sounds like an amazing. Yeah, that job. was great. Seen some great country, and she she collected a lot of great data, and we used to go to communities and interview old Aboriginal people and hear the song lines. Cool, right? Because in hidden in the song lines is water bodies. They talk about water bodies. Mm -hmm. See, so we used to listen to the song lines and work out where that they went and. You and you go to the places that that that's in those song and song lines and bang, there's springs there. There's all sort, you know. It's oh, just yeah. and it all went on the map. It's great. Yeah, that's but awesome. it opened my eyes because the water in the in the top end. You think because it rains a lot, you know, there's a lot of water, but it's actually quite fragile. You know, yeah. the aquifers and totally, yeah, the water bodies. Yeah, you've lived an extraordinary life. I feel like. You know, you've probably lived enough for about 10 people. <laughs> How did you end up – have you always been a storyteller? Like were you, have you been writing this entire time or how did that all come about? Nah, I, I only started writing when I was about maybe 40 or, yeah, late 30s, 40, you know. Mm -hmm. Up till then, like I had lots of different jobs and I, I didn't even – I'd never ever seen a computer, right? Wow. Never had it. Mobile, didn't even know what it was, didn't know what a computer was, nothing. And I'd get all my jobs just word of mouth. People would say, look, if you see Phil, tell him to catch up with us. We've got some work coming up. And, <laughs> and that worked fine for me. Yeah. You know, it was, I was knocking around. It was all quite fine. And um, then I, it just caught up with me. I, I, I think I started feeling a bit, because I had so many jobs and I, I was worth nothing really. I had a four-wheel drive, a guitar and a swag. That was my total package, <laughs> right? And I thought, well, I've pretty well amounted to nothing. But then I thought, I just felt like writing some stories down from stuff that had happened mm -hmm. in my life. Like, I think I was at Dunia at Port Bradshaw where I first started yeah. this process. So I just started writing some stories and and then all, it felt really good. Like I was writing all these different stories and it sort of made – a disjointed life, it brought it into like some sort of direction, you know. Made, it made it all make sense. Yeah, cool. If you know what I mean. Definitely. So then I, I had enough stories and I thought, oh, well, I'll, I'll make a book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. how many books have you written now? <laughs> oh, I've written five. But I remember back in those days, I was, I was at Dunia when I first got that urge and there was a lady photographer there because I was – helping the Charles Darwin Uni, they're doing a turtle tagging project yeah, cool. with Dimaru, yeah. and I was helping there. And I, I remember saying to this lady, I said, yeah, I've done all this stuff, but I want to dedicate my life to the arts now, mm -hmm. right? Because I love playing and singing and all yeah. that. And, and she said, she looked at me, because I didn't realise how old I was, 
You know, I still thought I was young, but I was 40. That's and she said, young. well, well, mate, you better hurry up. <laughs> <laughs> Who was that chick? That's not nice. <laughs> I know, I know. And then I thought, yeah, oh, yeah, maybe I better do something. Yeah, so I made that book, that first book, yeah, and it went pretty good. And then just it went from there. Yeah, just kept writing. And then I got um, did another book, and then the ABC wanted to publish a book. Yeah. That was exciting, you know. Yeah. Become a regular on the ABC and all that and just telling bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> and um then I I started um doing ads and all that and <laughs> and uh, then yeah, got did some acting in films and stuff. I like that. Yeah. That what, made what me kind own. Of films have you done? Oh, the last well Made one, we did one ourselves called On Tour and Looking for a Feed. <laughs> we went pretty good. I have to watch that. I love the title of that is brilliant. <laughs> yeah. And then we did the sequel of that. It's called Crazy Days at the Old Brumby Moon. Okay. And so then I, I re-edited the two movies together into one movie called Somewhere Just North of a Song. So you can see that on the internet if you want to bo- uh, watch it? Yeah, cool. You know, not the best movies you've ever seen. You know, we we never had any budget at all. Yeah. You know, it was just people doing it for the love of it and, you know. But uh, David Galpalil's in it, in that yeah, latest awesome. one. He's good. The best movies come from heart and, you know, passion and stuff. So I think that yours are probably I, – I haven't watched them yet. I will do it after <laughs> this interview, but I've heard a lot of good things anyway. You're an iconic character of the Northern Territory for sure, like a hundred percent. How does that feel? I don't know. It doesn't doesn't really. It's good that oh, one good thing about how things are turned out. The big highlight for me is like I can go pretty well anywhere, and I know someone. You know, yeah. like you can drive down the highway and be anywhere, and you run into people you know. Yeah. Or or they they know you, and you start a yarn, and their friends are someone you know. Yeah. So I think that's really good. I mean, to me, that's like money in the bank. Yeah. You know, I got no money in the bank or nothing, but you know, that's good. You know. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. That's a nice. It's a nice feeling kicking around. And what would you say is your biggest achievement? Well, I don't really know. I haven't really thought about that, but. I remember one time I got a medal, a Pride of Australia award. Oh, whoa. Oh, so I don't know if that was my biggest highlight, but I was pretty pumped. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it was like I, I was – this was a few years back now. There was there was all this, like, trouble. Um, there was all those fights in at Cronulla. Mm-hmm. Remember those riots, riots and all that? Yeah. And I, I was thinking – you know, that's not Australian, you know, and, and I thought we we're drifting a bit far from our, how we used to be, you know, how warm we used to be and how friendly we used to be, Aussies, and I thought, what can I do, you know? And then I thought, well, the power, if you want to get a message out, the power or the, the medium is TV, like if you want to get into everyone's houses, it's the TV. Yeah. And then I thought... Well, how am I going to do that? You know, I've got to get this message out there to tell everyone to just chill out and give each other a fair go. I con- concocted this thing called the Fair Go campaign, right, <laughs> in my brain. Yeah. I thought, well, how am I going to pull this off, right? But I don't ever give up. Like if I get onto something, like I, I'll stick with it, <laughs> you know, till I can work out how to make it work. <laughs> and anyway, anyway I, I started hitting up government organisations for a grant so I could launch my Fair Go campaign. And they were sort of saying, well, you know, who are you? Like, We're not going to give you any money, just some bloke. So what a – well, so I joined up forces with the Rotary Club from Nullumboy. Mm-hmm. They were a great bunch. Yeah. Uh, little club, Big Vision. Totally. I made up for that club. That sums them up perfectly. Yeah. And through them, we got a grant. Okay. We got a grant from the uh, – Department of Immig- some department, we got some money. Yeah. And it was enough to do, uh, we did four ads, right, for the TV. Yeah. And they were great. That's awesome. And anyway, they showed them all over the place, yeah. you know, and you can still see them on YouTube and that, the Fair Go ads, they're classics. <laughs> and um, so then I got nominated for this Pride of 
Australia Award for promoting peace and harmony in the community. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't think much about it, right? I thought, oh, I don't care about that, you know. But as it got closer, I, I got a bit excited about it. Yeah. I thought, shit, a medal <laughs> hanging around my neck, that'll be cool. It's a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> so the presentation was in Darwin. So I went, it was a really flash gala thing, you know, and I went there. And I remember I'd been working out bush and I got to the presentation and I was at the front door and I hadn't been drinking much and I'd been doing it pretty rough and I, I got there and one beautiful little waitress come up with champagne and just next to it shot this other really pretty waitress with red wine and then just at the corner of my eye another one shot up with schooners of icy cold beer and it was just too much for me. Like I had one of each, right? I just got one of each and started sculling them and then – each drink, I was just getting one of each, sculling it right, just having it, just just tipping it down. Like you could hear it hitting me guts. It was like the waves lapping on the beach down here. You could hear it hitting me guts, and I was having a great time, you know, in my own world with all this lavish, free grog. And um, but about three hours later, they made the presentation, you know, and all of it. Like I hadn't really cared, but. Then all of a sudden, like I just wanted to win it, you know, like, and I and they and I got an out. They I'd won it, <laughs> and I just about like my head just about blew off my show. I was so excited, got up there, grabbed the microphone, they put the <laughs> medal on me, and I made a big speech. But you can imagine how p- pumped up I was. I was like, I was like one of them, you know, in the cowboy and western movies, you know, the Indians they give them some. Alcohol and they'd never drank before and they go mad. Oh, no. Oh, in the old, you know, cowboy movies, they used to call it fire water, you know, and they'd oh. all go mad, going crazy. <laughs> I was like that, like, just like I'd been on the fire water yeah. and um, made a speech which just blew them right out. <laughs> blew them right. Is that on YouTube? I wouldn't mind seeing that. No, it was only four lines, I think. <laughs> can I, shall I, I, do I think it. I can remember it. If you can remember it, please share you know, it with I, us. I grabbed the mic and I think my first line was, um, I said, yeah, not every ab- Aboriginal person's a big drinker, right? Yeah. And they all looked. It got a bit quiet. And then I said, yeah, and not every Pom's a big whinger, right? Oh, and they all look around. It got even quieter. And then I said, yeah, not every Dutch person's a tight ass. <laughs> and then, then I finished off with, and not every Muslim wants to blow you up, <laughs> Right. And that was dead silent. By then it was dead silence. And I, I walked off and <laughs> back to me seat. And one woman I heard her say to her friend, she said, geez, I'm glad he didn't start on the Scottish. <laughs> but then it was dead quiet all the way back to me seat. And then just slowly you could the clap started and then they all clapped. And I remember the chief minister, Paul <laughs> Henderson, come over and he said, Geez, I've been I've been dying to say something like that for years. <laughs> <laughs> Good on you. Yeah, it was it's pretty wild. True. Pretty wild. Hey, you were speaking truths, that's for sure. Do you have any regrets in the way that you've lived your life? Because I feel like you've lived such a full life. Would you have any regrets? Oh, I think yeah. I pr- I think well, you can't really look back. I don't think you can look back and regret things. No, it only brings healthy. you down. It's just like a big anchor hanging around your neck, you know, you've got to let it all go. But there's been a bit of failed romance along the way. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Could have probably handled that a bit different. <laughs> I don't know. But I think I was always destined to probably not be the sort of bloke that settled down, you know. So, I mean, you're still, you're still young. You could still <laughs> settle down <laughs> oh, yeah, if that's I, what you wanted. <laughs> I had some opportunities, but I blew them on, on that front. Mm. But... um. As far as the jobs, I mean, I've, I've walked out of a few jobs. I've quit a few jobs. I've told a few people where to shove their jobs. I don't think I regret anything like that. Yeah. Is there anything you'd do differently if you had your time again? Yeah, I don't know. Where, it's such, where would you start? Like, the, my life's been so different than normal. I, I don't even know where to start, but probably could have done things a bit different. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I feel like everything, it doesn't happen for a reason necessarily, but like it's who you are today and if you didn't take that track, then you wouldn't be who you are, I guess. Right? Yeah, usually blokes like me when they die, you know, people really get into this stuff. What do you mean? Oh, no, well, they, you know, they, they finally, 
they start buying your books and all that oh. when you're dead. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> you're a, you're already very popular and famous, so you know you've done it. You've made it. What do you think the most important thing that you've learnt from all these years? Well, I think stick to your guns. Yeah. You know, just about every time I've done anything, like write a book or film or done those big projects and the Fair Go campaign, all these different projects I've taken on, like there's been times in every one of them where you could have like it got too hard, you know. Yeah. And you could have just like gotten done something else, but you stick with it and you get over that hump, and uh, you end up with something that you look back on and think, "Wow, that was work. That was good," you know. Yeah, totally. And if you're going to get into like writing and trying to sell stuff, like you got to be, you know, I don't know how to put it really, but a little bit of bullshit goes a long way. <laughs> you know, like um, totally. When I wrote my first book. I think, yeah, I had one book and I was selling them around Darwin and a few here and there, just scratching around because in those days there was a lot more bookshops mm-hmm. and people were really friendly and they'd give you a go. Yeah, we'll, we'll put a couple in. But then I thought, well, this isn't, this is just really like a, it's just more, it's not, it's just like a bit of a hobby, you know, selling a few ears, scratching around. I said, I thought I wanted, I wanted to go a bit harder than that. So I walked into a phone box one day and I got the, you know, I rang up the operator or something and I got some phone numbers of distributors, book distributors that distribute books around Australia. Yeah. And like, it's very hard to get any of them big players to look at your stuff, you know, mm-hmm. especially coming from the Northern Territory and being nobody and um but I, I thought oh I'm just gonna just just display one of my biggest performances of bullshit ever bullshitted in the history of bullshit by man, right? <laughs> I've psyched myself up and I, I, I rang up, I got onto this bloke from this book distribution place and I said, Oh mate, mate I said, I'm just selling books, I got money coming out me ass. I said, I, I can't keep up with it. I'm I'm going I need help. Just Money everywhere, just ca- he said, "Hey, you know, because normally by then they'd say they would have said, oh, look, yeah, thanks, send us one in the post, and I'll get back to you.' Yeah. But I was just too good. I was just <laughs> laying it on him too thick. Yeah, it was just too much. And he, he in the end, he said, "Oh, look, I've got to see it. I've got to." <laughs> <laughs> and I sent him one, and he, yeah, just started distributing them about around Australia. <laughs> Yeah, that's amazing. You know, and I got a phone. I was getting phone call from Angus and Robinson. Oh, we need we need two thousand books. Like <laughs> I said, so I made ten grand in one phone call. That's right? amazing. But I owed the printer nine grand. Mm, yeah, <laughs> which is okay. But I, I was just wondering how 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 would I have paid that bill if that didn't happen? But yeah, so I just a little bit of fake you know, it till you spin make it. Spin a bit of a yarn. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's so amazing. Yeah, and I sold thousands through that mob. Crazy. Yeah. Oh, wow. And then I sold that many that the ABC got wind of it, see, and then they wanted a slice of the action. (laughs) And that's another story. Yeah, well, we might have to save that for another time. But I would like to end with what can we expect from Phil O'Brien in the future? (laughs) Uh, Well, not yet. Pretty average financial management. (laughs) (laughs) That's for sure. But I'm just going to keep pumping out the stuff. Like I've got another book I'm working on and I'm cooking up another film project, you know, so, and I've just done a compilation CD, uh, Songs for the Corrugation, and that's got all great artists from around the Territory and beyond, sort of like we all teamed up. So that's a good project. I'm really proud of that. Yeah, so just keep going and then just cark it and then uh, probably everyone will start buying me stuff. (laughs) Well, (laughs) it's been an absolute honour to have a chat with you, Phil. I've been a huge fan since, I think, the year 2000, I think it was. So, yeah, I'm stoked that I've finally got to meet you and, yeah, thanks for having a chat with me today. Yeah, thanks. This has been uh, one of the highlights of my career as well. Maybe not, maybe not the biggest highlight, but it'd be in the top three. <laughs>
You just heard the second ever episode of Northeast Arnhem Land with Mon. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, I'd love it if you could hit subscribe. I am new to this, so any feedback would be greatly appreciated. A big thanks to Gove FM for the studio. My name's Monica O'Hanlon. That was Northeast Arnhem Land with Mon. I'll see you next time. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.